We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Training camp is officially upon us. News is flying uh, everywhere, so we are going to capture the biggest news and notes from around the NFL uh, here on this fine Thursday, uh, July 29th. We are also going to get into Mario's latest uh, best ball article talking about some teams that you can identify as stack candidates, so that'll be good. We're going to get into that as well, but Mario, this is a landmark podcast for, for your pal Johnny here. You know why? Uh, nope, I tried to think of it, couldn't. This is the last podcast of my 20s. I am going to be turning 30 on Tuesday, and that's terrifying in its own right, but we're going to, we're going to ham it up for this one. Hey, don't worry about it. Um, I'm 33. I recently turned 33, and it's really bad, but maybe not as bad as you're thinking right now. So do be worried, uh, despair, but but maybe just don't give yourself a break at some point in the day. Okay, I, I will and, try uh, to do that. Congratulations with all that. Happy birthday. Thank, <laughs> thank you. And, and uh, you know, funny enough, on that. On that Tuesday, I'm going to be uh, learning how to do some TikTok stuff uh, for, for the Rotowire TikTok. So uh, what better way to, to usher in a new decade than to, uh, you know, age myself out even worse? <laughs> Man, I, uh, are we going to have to learn the dances and everything? Now? What is, what, what's the TikTok for? Uh, I might. Um, I'm not sure uh, if they're going to make you do that or not, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't pull enough weight so otherwise. They have, like, they have normal people things on TikTok too. Allegedly, um, we'll, we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Um, you know, not not to my knowledge, but I just assumed it was all for uh, like K-pop stuff and um, crazy uh, like success win self-help uh, investor guy things and I don't know steroid use probably. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll just be doing dances and and talking about KJ Hamler that that kind of thing. So um, you know, with the the fans out there, a little sneak preview, a little peek behind the curtain as to uh, what to expect there. Uh, my face for radio going up on video. Thank you, thank you. Well, let's go ahead. 
let's talk about some things. Uh, we got to lead things off with the biggest news of the week. Obviously, last week we, we got to have the, the Cam Akers uh, unfortunate injury kind of carry the entire week as far as the storylines were concerned. But the big one that's been really festering over the course of the offseason, specifically since the, the day of the, of the first round of the NFL draft, was the rift between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, or the perceived rift. Um, that seems to have officially uh, come to a close uh, on amenable terms. Rodgers said his piece, I believe, on, on Wednesday about just kind of catching everyone up on, on his feelings on how things shook out and, you know, how he wished that, that certain veterans were, were treated a little bit better on the way out. But, hey, you know, we got we got the Devonta Adams and, and Aaron Rodgers Instagram, the last dance. So it looks like the Packers are loading up for one more. They've already made the NFC Championship two years in a row. Rodgers actually played well this past year. I thought that in 2019 they were a bit paper tigers and they, they got exposed. But uh, last year, you know, that it really came down to a couple plays against the Bucks. They really gave the Bucks the best run for their money uh, in the postseason a year ago. Uh, it's a stacked roster. So I feel like we've seen over the course of the last couple of months as the tension and sort of uh, uh, resulting insecurity about this Packers offense, you know, is Rodgers going to be there? Because if not... Devontae Adams, he's not as valuable, of course. Uh, Aaron Jones, obviously not as valuable. Bob Tunyon, uh, even some of those uh, receivers a little bit further down the depth chart, we started to see their ADP slide when we did a Rotowire uh, underdog best ball about a month or so ago. I was able to get Devontae Adams at like the end of the second round, that kind of thing. I would imagine that now uh, these days are over um, and his his ADP will recalibrate to where it should be. Um, so what, what are your kind of initial thoughts now that we know for sure that, that Rodgers is a Packer in the year 2021? I'd guess Adams goes more like seventh or eighth overall, no later than nine or 10 in most drafts. I guess you'll, you might see some people going as high as like the fourth or fifth pick for him which uh i guess makes sense if you're low on the running backs that would otherwise qualify in that range but yeah adams is a candidate to be the first wide receiver selected i think i probably have him just kind of tied for first with stefan diggs tyreek hill and calvin ridley I'm, I'm only really different from most people in that i have ridley up there with those guys so i guess my position is pretty close to what i imagine the consensus is Okay. All right. So now he'll he'll creep back up, and, and again, you're you're not going to get the the Adams discount where he's like the fifth receiver off the board, or anything like that. Um, interesting that, that you had Ridley in that group, but I can totally see the the upside scenario there. If the Falcons, if their defense is as bad, and then you see the Ridley target share creep up to like thirty something percent. You know, only other only like Kyle Pitts is really that that other legitimate threat in that offense uh, in the passing game. So. No, I can I can totally see that when it comes to Ridley, but uh, yeah, Adams firmly back in in that wide wide receiver one discussion. Where are you with Aaron Jones? Were you worried? Like, was he particularly impacted to you by the by the Rodgers uncertainty? And and you know, with that off the table now, uh, is Aaron Jones someone that you're targeting again? I guess we'll see if his price goes up. If his price goes up, I don't think I'll be targeting him. For me, it was always I was just a little bit more interested in probably players like uh you know before cam Akers and antonio gibson guys who i think can get both the 20 carries and the five catches which to me jones was more just like the guy between those two and uh 
like Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon, I guess. So uh, maybe I should have gotten more shares before. I never doubted Aaron Jones' abilities, and I certainly, uh, you know, think he can keep producing a lot of yardage per carry. But I was a little worried about the touchdown count. Like the touchdown production for Aaron Jones has been very high the last two years, and that's more to do with skill, I think, than circumstance. Like I definitely think he's that guy. But if if you're competing with guys who are twenty carry candidates. That that's kind of the basis I was I was missing him before because as as great as Jones is he's not a serious candidate for more than like 13, 14, 15 carries a game. He's broken down in the NFL before. He's broken down at UTEP, and they kind of uh, I think want to keep the more thankless carries in the offense limited to AJ Dillon. Okay, that makes it you know he he gets to basically take on the Jamal Williams role in essence. Yeah, and if it's like the running out the clock with a lead, or if they're going maybe short yardage and, and Jones just played, you know, six snaps already on the drive. Maybe they put in Dylan for a few plays, especially if it's like this, this play is going to be right into the teeth of the defense. Maybe let's get Jones out when we need to eat up a lot of yardage on a play. Yeah. Throw the quadzilla at, at the, at the teeth of the defense and, and see what yeah. happens. Um, this is, this is more, uh, I, I need a little bit of affirmation here. I, I kind of felt all along that, you know, and I'm not saying that, like, I, I knew that the Rodgers was going to be back in Green Bay or anything, but I felt for a while, like, Tunyon kind of fell in a sweet spot, at least the way that I've been drafting, to where if I needed a tight end, too, uh, you know, in the, in the 10th, 11th round, something like that, I've scooped up a fair amount of Tunyon exposure, and obviously, now that, that, now that Rodgers is back, I feel really good about, about that. Do you see... The case for him, you know, I, we know and we talked about this on, on the pod earlier this offseason where he essentially maxed out as far as the efficiency was concerned a year ago. You can't expect a much better year uh, from Tunyon, but do you think he can repeat uh, now, now that we know uh, everything that we do? I'm not sure. I don't really think the touchdown percentage for Rodgers is that sustainable. And if I had to look at one player who would bear the brunt of that regression, I guess it would be Tunyon, just because he had such a ridiculous touchdown count on so many receptions. But I also think Tunyon's good. It's just there's already a lot of players who are pretty good in that offense. Adams, of course. Jones, of course. And I think aside from them, Lazard is pretty competent as a wide receiver, too. Valdez Scantling is limited, but no one competes with him for his one downfield specialist role. And uh, so that, that'll just be there to some extent or another. And I don't know how much room on the field that leaves Tunyon for his routes, especially with the way LaFleur likes to design routes in any given play to get one guy specifically open. And I think a lot of Tunyon's big plays last year were such particular plays where he was the guy who was supposed to get open on that one. And I, I don't know if there's enough incentive or even even if there were an incentive enough possibility for LaFleur to create as many more plays like that as Tunyon's talent might otherwise warrant and all of that's without factoring in what Amari Rodgers and Randall Cobb mean to the offense now so it seems just really crowded to me I think the Packers would need to throw the ball a little bit more than they tend to because uh, as it is right now a lot of the value uh, is kind of like presupposing touchdown production that was definitely there last year but wasn't a couple of years before that so if Rodgers has a season exactly like last year, then Tunyon is in a good spot, I think, just because if Lazard gets hurt, then maybe that's all it'll take. Or maybe if, uh, you know, if, if Valdez Scanlon gets hurt, maybe that's all it'll take. But I do think it would take something like that, even if Rodgers preserved last year's sort of efficiency. 
So I think you make totally valid points across the board. I mean, again, the, the touchdown rate was crazy. That the catch rate, like at, at almost ninety percent, pretty ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, with the success that he did have on, on the per target basis and everything, don't you think that he did enough to to remain kind of a staple in that offense? Or do oh you, yeah, or is it, I, do, I don't think he'll get. Uh, he, the regression would only be in like the per target sense. Like I don't think they're going to cut uh, Tunyon snaps for like Josiah Deguara. Although I guess Josiah Deguara either gets scratched every game or has to take snaps from somebody. But I don't really think it'll be Tunyon. Tunyon didn't actually play that many snaps last year. He played like 640 snaps. So uh, he already was in a part-timer role. And just as much as it might be difficult to see him get more than that, it's also kind of hard to see why he would get demoted in that sense. Uh, if the numbers... I guess what I'll say about Tunyon is, like, I'm not really picking him. I tend to target just other players who go in that range, but it's not because I find him repulsive at that price, and I, I certainly think he's a good player. And if you're getting him as a tight end, too, and you're not paying too much for the privilege, then that's a totally reasonable uh, cost to rationalize because it's like, well, I'm not dependent on him, so if he doesn't turn out to have this good case scenario, it, it might be to no real consequence. And if these other things do happen, uh, it'll it'll be you know a substantial enough gain to have rationalized leaving him on my bench for two or three weeks or waiting until my other tight end got hurt, whatever the scenario is. So it's it's a totally reasonable expense to to take. I just kind of tend to build my team a, a different way uh, so it's i'm not repulsed by him like i am for instance like logan thomas uh but i i think that it is it is a lot like Jonu smith last year where it's like okay we know the talent's there we know there's going to be touchdowns but like m- maybe the targets aren't really there and it turned out that there weren't targets there and you know maybe if aj brown got hurt and even or maybe if Corey Davis got hurt, maybe then the volume would have gone up and maybe that's what Tunyon's looking at, too. But I do think it takes that injury or two for him to have the breakout that might otherwise be hinted at in his you know explosiveness from last year. OK. And, and like what, one last thing that I'll add, just kind of looking at, at how the board tends to fall. I just feel like there, there's a cliff. And I know that uh, you've expressed optimism on Johnny Smith and specifically over Hunter Henry. Um, so I, I definitely I like think Hunter it, Henry too, though. So I, I, sure. I wish I could, I should have just been more disciplined and took some Henry where I took Johnny instead. But uh, yeah, it's uh, those guys, those guys are of course uh, pretty good. And I'm just, uh, I think the Patriots need them. Whereas the Packers have a wealth of options. No, for, for sure. But my, my point being, yeah. That is like when you look at if you're trying to target tight end at that specific part of the draft, I get a little bit leery about like an Irv Smith um, or a Tyler Higby. So like Tunyon just feels like the the less of all evils at, at that at that point. And you know, obviously with Rodgers being back now, um, that my concerns are, are quelled a little bit. Even though you know we we talked about how the the role and and the efficiency could you know come back to earth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh... I, I guess the way I view the, the market is I, I share those concerns like Irv Smith, uh, not so much with Higby, but in any case, I think most of those guys are priced reasonably. So to me, it's all pretty reasonable as long as you're not reaching in the ADP. And ideally, I guess you'd, you'd give some if you have a lot of volume in your drafts, especially you'd give some thought to specifically waiting for ones who fall past ADP just to get some exposure. But at ideally, at, you know, aberrationally cheap price uh but yeah it's all pretty reasonable as as 
as the prices kind of account for like the upside and risk in each guy's case, and it basically comes down to uh, you know taste as to which one you go with eventually. All right. Well, I'm a Texas Tunyon guy. I'll just put it out there. There it is. Um, nice. All right. Yeah, I don't think he even has any uh, ties to Texas whatsoever, but um, Indiana it sounds State good. doesn't yeah. roll off the tongue. So no, Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, the school of Larry Bird, and uh, I guess that's about it. And now Big Bob. Um, all right, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's get on over to the Saints. This is news that that broke uh, shortly after we recorded a week ago. Michael Thomas. Um, undergoing that surgery. So catch us up on, on what his situation is, how long is he supposed to be out, and, and you know, what does this mean for, for the Saints offense? I was already pretty leery of them, but you know, if you remove Thomas from the equation for half the season or so, man, that, that receiver depth chart is pretty brutal. Yeah, I guess maybe there was news since last week, but I hadn't seen whether there was an actual prognosis for Thomas yet. I haven't even seen like a reliable diagnosis i know it was like an ankle as opposed to the foot before uh whatever that was last year so it's it's kind of concerning because when you don't know the prognosis and you don't know the the exact type of injury that you're dealing with you don't really know how to even start to set the scope of of the risk you know it's like how it's one thing to convince yourself well thomas is worth a fifth round pick he'll play you know 13, 14 games, what's the big deal? But it's like, well, you don't really know that he'll play 13 and 14. It could be something worse than that. It could be something even more obnoxious where he only misses two games, but they force him back too early and he gets hurt again. There's just a lot of unknown stuff that can happen with him that other players aren't at realistic risk for. So the the way I view it, it'll be difficult for me to imagine taking Thomas until I guess I have pretty much my entire starting lineup accounting for and someone's always going to take him earlier than that, or I assume almost always that would happen. So I am preparing as if I won't get any Michael Thomas exposure from this point. I had a couple teams with him before, and I liked his upside before the injury quite a bit, actually. Um, I just tended to not get him, I guess, because I was taking DeAndre Swift and, uh, I don't know, some other receiver, maybe like the Cowboys guys in that range. I don't remember Terry McLaurin. But uh, I was anxious about my lack of Michael Thomas exposure, and uh, now I'm totally content to just leave it as is. Right. So w- where has his new ADP settled? Uh, so I don't actually know. That That's one of those that uh, some of the picks are probably going to be like timeouts, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a lot. Maybe some. I don't really know. Um, but, yeah, I, I – I don't really know. I, I would guess it's something in like the fifth or sixth or something like that. Maybe like maybe when Kenny Galladay or somebody like that is the top receiver on the board. I guess I can see why someone would go with Thomas. I still would take the Galladay type. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. My general advice would be to don't really take him uh, yeah. at least until at least until we see just you know some sort of. Because even if even if it's confirmed, for instance, that okay, they think he'll only miss four weeks. And thus, the person who assumed it would only be four weeks is right. It's not like his price is going to get higher for that. Like, I think his price is already going for, like, whatever the, the best case scenario in the minds of these people is. So uh, if it's, like, confirmed, like, don't worry, he's, he's avoiding the PUP list. He's definitely going to play in the first four or five weeks. 
it's like the, the price will still be in that kind of like fifth or sixth round range. Like, I don't think there's an opportunity to be had by drafting him anytime until that information is clarified. So what do you do with the Saints offense now? I mean, in general, I mean, we had Deontay Harris um, arrested on a DUI allegation. So that's obviously, you know, something that, that could uh you know, hurt his playing time at least for a week or so. Uh, Traquan Smith, a, a fun player, but certainly not someone that you can count on uh, to be to like carry your passing game. And then you got guys like Marquez Callaway, Kawan Baker. I mean, like I have like a prospect like thing for Kawan Baker, but I, I don't expect him to be like a year one guy. Um, right. So I mean, th- this is kind of a mess. Like, is Adam Troutman someone that that you need to like really start considering now? And are you worried about Kamara at all at, at this point? If if the rest of the passing game is so bad, like, what's going on? I'm not too worried about Kamara. Maybe I should have given more consideration to the possibility of his efficiency falling off. But more so, I just see it as him getting a huge workload because I don't think there's any other way they can go about it. I don't I don't see what choice they have but to give him even more work. Because Traquan Smith might be pretty good, and I guess we're going to find out. But he's probably, or to this point anyway, he's he's more so been kind of just like a role player, a downfield-oriented role player. Even though he was running from the slot, he was largely just clearing out space and wasn't getting targeted very often. And when he got his targets, it was usually because Breeze kind of was like, hey, he's you know pretty open. I'm, I'm willing to throw to it now, throw to him now. And so you look at his numbers and you see like really explosive per target numbers. You see a lot of touchdowns per target and that's all great. But it also is one of those things like if the target volume went any higher than that, you wouldn't necessarily get much of a return. Those extra targets might just kind of land on the ground and we'll, we'll see. I don't want to rule it out because he was, he's definitely got some skill and definitely at the downfield component, he's got ability. He was really good in that capacity at central Florida, decent enough athletic tester. So, um, I, I will say I think Traquan Smith is probably their lead wide receiver when Thomas is out. I know there's been some optimism for Marquez Callaway, and I think he's a nice enough player. But everything that Callaway does in theory, Traquan Smith does more convincingly. Like they're both kind of downfield specialists in college. I know they didn't use Callaway that way last year, but I think you might find the longer he's exposed in that kind of underneath sort of role they were using him, maybe the worse he looks. Because uh, at Tennessee, he was like a downfield outside specialist, and he was really good at it. But he's smaller and probably not any faster than Traquan. And Traquan's already been productive as a downfield receiver in the NFL. So I tend to defer to him if Jameis Winston is out there. Not that I know that would happen. But uh, if they go with Taysom Hill, it will not work. They will have to bench him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it seemed like... Taysom at least opened camp uh, with the ones. I'm sure that Winston's getting some, some reps there. I guess they do it well. by day, or at least okay. for the next few days. They're giving it just like one guy gets the whole day pretty much, which makes enough sense. The the rotating everybody by each drive probably screws with their rhythm quite a bit. True, true. Um, and uh, but one last thing on the Saints. Um, need your your Troutman uh, opinion after. Yeah, after sorry, this. I, I do like Troutman, and it's one of those things like. I guess he goes kind of around where Tunyon does. So uh, I am often just not really picking a tight end there, so I don't have a ton of Adam Troutman shares. But I'm always glad enough to get him. I think even though he didn't really run routes last year, he was, A, pretty effective at the ones they gave him. It was super non-indicative. It wasn't a big enough sample, and it was too specialized of a function to really 
give much insight on what he'll look like in a bigger role, but we saw him play in a bigger role in college or not so much saw firsthand, but right. uh, you can see like he took on a high volume of usage and as a pass catcher in college. And I don't think it was because he was in like any Eastern Washington type scenario. I'm pretty sure he was kind of like their lead receiver on that Dayton team. And athletically he te- he's fine, especially for like underneath intermediate kind of functions because he's a big tight end and if, if you're big enough you don't have as much of a you know you, you get more of a cushion on the question of like how fast you are it's like it's one thing to be small and slow to be big and slow and pretty quick for how big you are like sometimes that's enough it, it's it's it all counts towards something and he's a big tight end who's tested very well with the quickness drills so that's kind of interesting because maybe he doesn't have like top five tight end upside but maybe he can be kind of uh like age 30, age 31 and onward, Jason Witten kind of tight end or something like a guy who's really good at moving the chains and uh, gives you volume in the reception category, even if he doesn't have much explosiveness to his game. Okay. Uh, and what, one last thing, speaking of tight ends, I saw that Antonio Gates, son uh, committed to Michigan state this week. So uh, in case there is any question as to how old we're getting, uh, we're getting old. Yeah, that's uh I guess like pretty soon most of the draft names will just be guys as kids from uh, the mid two thousands. Even I was used, I was like, oh, that's pretty bad. We're seeing like Pat Sertan and these guys from the mid to late nineties. But now it's like, are we gonna have? Is, is somebody in the, the NFL right now? Do they have a kid who's like a five star? Has that happened yet? <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. I'm almost positive of it. So uh, fun times. Uh, before we get on to uh, our next training camp story. A quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, moving on, we, we kind of touched on, on the, the QB carousel in, in New Orleans, um, but again, like, you know, there, there will be rotations, it's early, all that good stuff, and, and that also applies to the nation's capital, where things apparently, according to Ron Rivera, are they're not just going to hand the job to Fitzpatrick, he's going to need to win it over Taylor Heineke. How much are you buying that? How long do you think that's going to take? You know, is Fitzpatrick just going to pull away right right off the bat? Um, is there any feasible way for, for for Heineke to actually end up winning that job, or is this just kind of like typical coach speak? We, we all start at square one uh, at the start of training camp. I'd probably go with the coach speak, if only because uh, I mean I don't know if he was hurt earlier in the year, but Taylor Heineke was available to Washington all of last year. He was on the practice squad I want to say at some point and maybe even another team's practice squad at some point I can't remember what it was but they could have had him up is the thing and Ron Rivera already knew him from Carolina where he also coached him like Taylor Heineke actually started a game I want to say against the Falcons like three years ago before Kyle Allen replaced them because Heineke twisted his elbow inside out pretty much uh so that's that's how Kyle Allen his wretched career got to a start in the first place is because Taylor Heineke was playing ahead of him and got hurt. But uh, in any case, they didn't bring up Heineke. They brought in Kyle Allen and then they didn't really put uh, Alex Smith on the, they of course didn't put Alex Smith on the bench, even though he was, it was, it was a bourbon bowl offense. Like there was no serious intention of trying to move the ball. It was going to be a punt or a field goal, or they, they luckily extended drive and kick a field goal. Alex Smith was forfeit in action and they still didn't bring up Taylor Heineke. So then again, against the Buccaneers, Heineke showed a lot of pretty clear traits. Like he's got pretty strong arm, or at least he, sh- he showed some good velocity on some tough throws. He's very athletic. I would have to imagine he reached a pretty high top speed on that touchdown run that he had to the corner, the pylon. Uh, that, was, that was a pretty intense play. He was far better than Alex Smith and, and Kyle Allen, and yet they, they didn't go to him until they had to. So that makes me wonder if Ron Rivera basically thinks Heineke's a bit goofy or something. Or maybe, he just, maybe he just doesn't trust him. Like maybe he thinks he's kind of an unstable person. I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but if he's, if he's playing like he did against the Buccaneers, that is probably a heated competition if a competition is really uh, happening there because – those, those were quite a few sick plays he made of that game, and maybe he's a liability some other way, and he's he does seem to be a durability problem. Like, he he does, you know, probably ill-advised things and, and gets clogged. But you know who, who else does ill-advised things? Ryan Fitzpatrick, like, every right, step does, of his career. He, if he does, at worst, will, like, get his receivers clobbered, whereas Heineke is just, like... Trying oh, yeah, to cart, cartwheels through the middle of the defense. Yeah, ca- casting for Jackass 4. Basically, yeah, he's he he was, you know, I'm Taylor Heineke, and this is uh, <laughs> this is I doing put my helicopter into a wood chipper. You know. <laughs> so, oh my god! Um, all right, so uh, we do have a quick question from a viewer. Our, our friend Julia asks, "How scared are you guys regarding Dak's leg and shoulder when you draft him? Any concern coming out of injury season, Dak?" Wilson or Kyler Murray, if you can only pick one. So, Mario, what say you? 
I think Dak and the Cowboys passing game are pretty much locked in. I guess I don't know the latest on this shoulder thing, but if it is minor, as they're saying, then I guess I'm not too worried about the passing functions. I do put Kyler safely ahead of Dak, though, just because uh, not to assume Dak won't run as much as he used to, but there are probably worse assumptions to make and oh, yeah. uh, it's more on the table than it used to be, whatever the specific case. For sure. Uh, yeah. I so probably it's... put Wilson uh, behind Dak, but not far or anything. Just uh, they don't endeavor to throw the ball as much as Dallas does. Okay. And, and provided that, that the shoulder thing ends up being a, a relative non-issue, you know, if we're talking again in, in two weeks, are you still daft or uh, drafting Dak pretty comfortably in that case? So, I don't feel particular pressure to take him, but if I already took Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb earlier, it's something that can kind of tilt me a little bit more in that direction. But, yeah, I would like to see some kind of tangible good news on the shoulder because usually these things are minor, but the longer you are operating on just a faith-based assumption, the the more chances things are to go wrong, I would guess. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'm just kind of under the assumption that occasionally, you know, especially a quarterback who suffered a season-ending injury, he just clearly just hasn't been throwing the ball a ton, you know, dur- during the rehab. So this could just be working his arm in, into shape. And, and, you know, you're throwing it a ton during camp. And, you know, we, we saw tons of quarterbacks over the years, you know, have that that's, uh, early camp uh, sore shoulder. So it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up being the thing. And uh, I feel comfortable about the ankle or about as comfortable as you can be. Like you said, I think that there, there could be some some rushing reduction. But, man, I mean, the, the receivers that they have there, the, the sheer – weaponry with with Cooper and I think Lamb is about to have just a, a monster season as well. You got Michael Gallup, so many guys and then when you know when those guys aren't there, you have an easy completion to to Zeke. So Dak's passing production could easily be among the best in the league and you don't need that much out of his uh, rushing in order for him to to easily cruise to value. So um again, I, I guess Setting the record for for me, I I still feel good about about going after Dak. Um, I think, also, yeah. I should say in six point per passing touchdown formats like the NFFC, I actually have Dak probably pretty much right in line with Kyler Murray. Okay, all right, that checks out. Um, did you have anything else to add um, on the Washington Football Team quarterback stuff before we move on over to your article? Um, just that I, I know that Logan Thomas got a contract extension and I've seen some renewed optimism in him this year. Uh, I, I don't really, I don't really know what to say about that again, other than like he played the most snaps among any tight end in the league last year. The only one to play more than a thousand. He was well below the team baseline with the targets that he got. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, they don't throw those same targets. And they have more competition to throw to. I know Adam Humphreys has been getting some hype today. Uh, he's, he's pretty much getting it because it's easiest to throw to the slot receiver when you're doing seven-on-seven seven stuff without pads. It's the easiest route. No one's in the way. There's not nearly as much just shoulder padding getting in the way of your throwing lanes. And you take what's easy because it's in front of you, and you're basically screwing around if you start chucking it deep and it look like that. So uh, Humphreys is not going to be challenging Curtis Samuel. I uh, he, he might be challenging Logan Thomas in, in the pecking order. Uh, neither of them will threaten Samuel or Terry McLaurin. And I, I think I thought we agreed previously as, as like an industry, whatever, like Ryan Fitzpatrick being there means they're going to chuck it downfield. Right. That was the mm-hmm. opposite of Logan Thomas's function. Right. So I, I think it's pretty clearly heading toward, you know, Terry McLaurin's the beast. 
Curtis Samuels, the guy who they turn to when McLaurin's getting blocked. Humphreys, Logan Thomas, Deami Brown, they'll do their part. Uh, but that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, so a bit of cognitive dissonance there as far as, you know, what, what we think of Fitzpatrick, what we think of Logan Thomas, and, and then uh, still leaning in uh, to, the, to the Thomas at, at current ADP. And, uh, you know, regarding seven-on-sevens, as the woodshop teacher in South Park said, quit screwing around. All right, throw it to your slot receiver. Stop screwing around. Quit screwing around. You're going to cut your hand off. (laughs) Dang it. All right, before we get on to your best ball article, we got a couple messages from our friends leading things off, our friends over at WinBet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decisions. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more right at your fingertips. If you want to break from sports betting, head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states. That's Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet right now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. We also have a message from our friends over at Dynasty owner, are you tired of the same old fantasy football leagues that get canceled after a year or so? If so, Dynasty Owner has your back. Go to DynastyOwner.com. New leagues for the 2021 season are forming right now. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office by incorporating a salary cap and real NFL player salaries for diehard fantasy football fans that want the real GM experience. Dynasty Owner adds a whole new level of strategy. Are you worried you won't be able to find anyone to play in your league? Don't worry about that. Dynasty Owner can help fill your league with fantasy football enthusiasts like yourself. You won't have to worry about finding enough players. You can choose to start a league, join an existing one, or purchase a team from a previous owner. If you're serious about joining the big leagues, go to DynastyOwner.com and start your dynasty today. All right, Mario, let's get on over to your latest article talking about uh, best ball over on underdog specifically, looking at some teams to, to stack up. And let's lead things off with the Tennessee Titans. So obviously Derrick Henry is someone that, that's going in the top five or so. Or he goes a little bit later on underdog because of the, the scoring settings. Of, of course, it's not a standard league, but we'll leave him out of this. But how do you pull off a Tennessee passing stack and is it something that that you're trying to do actively so in this article i'm I'm not just going through like what possible stacks you could do i'm trying to take the liberty also saying whether it's worth your time and investment basically and tennessee is a case where i think the sum of the talent and the opportunity relative to the price is pretty clearly opportunistic or sorry uh, advantageous i should say probably uh i think that. These guys, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, are probably no worse than, like, the number one. 
sorry, the two of them are probably both in the top five or six receivers who are like the most effective on a per play basis. And I know Julio's a year older, maybe he declines somewhat, but last year he was still outrageously effective. And here in Tennessee, he's going to have the easiest task of his career running routes with A.J. Brown on the other side of the field. I'm not bashing Calvin Ridley by, by naming A.J. Brown. bashing Roddy White, though. Yeah, I guess I am bashing Roddy White a little bit relative to A.J. Brown. I, I th- love Roddy, of course, but it's, it's not just the receiver on the other side. In fact, the receiver on the other side might be the, the least pertinent difference here. It's the, the bigger formations and Derrick Henry in the backfield. It's, it's the defense having to lean forward while never doing that previously at any point against Julio Jones. Before, they were on their toes and ready to turn and run all the time. Now they, I guess, could keep doing that. But if they do, Derrick Henry's going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to turn to run with Julio. And then when they look back over their shoulder, Derrick Henry's going to be three yards away and they'll just get rolled over. So uh, the second time they run the same look, they're going to instead look for Derrick Henry first. And you can't look away from Julio Jones for a second. Uh, and if you're trying to read the play fake and you, you look the wrong way, that's all it takes. And you can just lose either of them all the way to the end zone. So there's just so much potential explosiveness here that since they are, you know, s- somewhat affordably priced. And by that, A.J. Brown going after Calvin Ridley and D.K. Metcalf and Julio Jones probably going around the same range as like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and guys like that. And especially in best ball, I would definitely prefer the Titans guys because it's just more narrowly channeled. Like it's going to pretty much all go through AJ Brown and Julio Jones when they're out there. And there is a chance too, that the, the risk that's baked into their price might be in there a little more than it need be because the Titans could just choose to throw the ball a few more times per game than they have in the past before they had Julio Jones and A.J. Brown at the same time. And if they do, that risk doesn't exist anymore. Like, the volume risk is just gone, and all you have are just the pluses at that point. And it's not guaranteed to happen, far from it. But it could happen by choice, and it could also happen by necessity outside from their choice. They might need to throw the ball that much to score enough to win games. So I think when you're talking about the the kind of per-play damage that they can do with, with Derrick Henry's rushing threat, making the defense put more weight on the field, less speed, and closer to the line of scrimmage than they'd like going against receivers like this. It can just happen in a flash, and there could be a lot of reasons for them to, to shoot deep a lot more than they used to in the past. So um, I, I think it's pretty pretty cheap. You know, so I should say, both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are pretty easily justified on their own for their respective prices. So in the event of them, just for that basis alone, it's reasonable to try to pair them. And in the event that they're slightly underpriced, it could be to like a pretty major magnitude because if we're wrong about the volume risk, we're very wrong given the kind of damage that they do per unit of usage. That's yeah, no, that that's huge. And like you like you mentioned with just like the team context, you know, that the Titans going after Julio Jones seems to signal at least, at least to me and you know, I'm not the only person that thinks this, of course, but they're they got to throw the ball more. And, uh, you know, that, that also helps prolong Derrick Henry's career, I think, or at least, you know, uh, keep the wheels on a little bit longer. Not, not that there's really any uh, concrete fears for, for him for, for this season. But, again, you know, you got an NFL running back going over 300 carries year over year over year. It would make sense to, you know, maybe scale it back slightly. And a great way to do that is throw the ball more, and, and specifically to, to guys like Julio and, and to A.J. Brown. So, uh, it'd be crazy for them to be quite as run heavy as they were a year ago. So 
I, I don't think that they're going to jump into the top 20 as far as pass play percentage, but you know, even if they're if they get out of the basement, if they get out of the bottom five or something, that that you know leads to a boon. And, and of course, like you mentioned, it's going to be narrowly channeled. It's going to be AJ Brown and it's going to be Julio Jones. But uh, dovetailing off of that, much later on in drafts, so you don't need to sink you know a starting spot on on your roster or anything. But guys like Josh Reynolds, Anthony Ferkser, what what are they doing for you as far as your your interest goes? Well, I should say quickly, so while the the price and projection justification for Julio and A.J. Brown is easy, in my opinion, it's tough to get a draft slot where you neatly align with their respective ADPs. So generally, you need to reach for Julio Jones in the third round, or you need to take A.J. Brown in the early second over guys like Calvin Ridley and D.K. Metcalf and maybe even DeAndre Hopkins. Some blessed soul out there probably got A.J. Brown and Julio way past their ADP and was able to get them. Uh, in a draft slot where you basically never will any other time. Uh, but I think it's still justified to take that reach, and it, maybe especially the Julio pick. If you make it in the third round, it's it'll be a reach by like eight spots in the ADP, but if that reasoning we were talking about to justify the approach in the first place is true, then that price won't be a hindrance to your team. It'll have been, uh, you know, he should have gone that high anyway. You just paid more than anyone else but you were right to do it kind of thing so i don't i I think it makes plenty of sense too to just take one of aj brown or julio jones and then get another of ferks or or reynolds later and i especially like to get reynolds when i take julio because i love julio but he's he's definitely an injury concern and in best ball that's largely immaterial to us because in redraft yeah he's actually on your lineup leaving the game after a 27 yard catch in the first quarter but in best ball, if that happens, it just goes to the next high-scoring player. He's not locked into the game beforehand. And if Julio is the greater injury risk than A.J. Brown, then I guess Reynolds might pair more reasonably with Julio. Not to rule it out in the A.J. Brown case. I mean, it's the 18th round. You're not choosing from some highly decorated option here. you, you got to go a little bit in, into the weeds. And Reynolds is clearly their third receiver, in my opinion. So if Julio is out, Reynolds is not. And in the 18th round, that's the kind of price where I'm looking to take out insurance policies. I don't really want to spend like a 12th round pick for some guy's backup that I that I already took in the second or whatever. That's just that's just spending inefficiently. 18th round, it's like you're probably getting nothing anyway. And if you can at least make your probably nothing turn into a definitely something in the event of one of your higher investments going bust, then that's one of your best case scenarios probably. Definitely something sounds like a great uh, late 90s uh, like teen rom-com or something. Uh, I like that one. Oh, uh, well, please please don't steal it from me. Please, you know, pay me a little something. Right, yeah, you got you got the IP on that one. Um, anything else to add before we move on oh, to another uh, Fer- AFC South team? Ferkser, uh, of course, isn't projected as high after the Julio trade, but I still think he and Reynolds will basically be the rotating slot receiver in this offense. And I, I think they're content to make it a competition between the two. And I think Ferkser is a really good bet to win. He's been super effective as an underneath receiver. And maybe there will be a lot of bunch plays where they don't have a, a featured route for him. But when they're going spread out, it's not like they're going to have Julio and AJ Brown running a bunch of four yard curls. So if someone's doing something on the underneath and intermediate, it has to be Ferkser. And like he showed you in that Falcons game last year, he can probably take on volume. He's not just a he's not just a guy who can do a, a check down here or there when the defense forgets about him. It's like he can really run routes. No, he, he can, and yeah, you were like an early identifier, Ferkser, back in like 2019. So 
good on you for that. So keep him on your radar as well. Let's move on over to Indianapolis. Uh, we're talking Colts passing game, of course. Uh, so th this is a fun one for me to tee up for you because I know uh, your feelings, and I think most of your, your readers and listeners do as well, on two of these guys. Uh, so we'll lead things off. Uh, Michael Pittman, and then uh, get into to Paris Campbell as well. So how are you approaching uh, this Indianapolis offense if you're trying to stack it? Right. So I'm not super interested in stacking the Colts. Part of that is because I'm concerned about the amount of passing volume overall. Like, I'm not convinced Carson Wentz does a great job this year. I'm not even really ready to assume that he'll do as well as Rivers did last year. Like, Wentz can certainly do things that Rivers couldn't, but Wentz can also screw things up in a lot of ways Rivers didn't know oh, about. Just the, the, the best at uh, creating a sack for himself as maybe anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, looking back over Wentz's numbers, even in his good Philadelphia seasons, uh, I don't season. know why I didn't... Yeah, season. Uh, there's, there's hints of that problem, too, because he had a lot of touchdowns and a lot of big plays and yet the completion percentage and the yards per attempt was not very high. So it was to say, like, he was having a bunch of plays where he just ended up doing nothing. And a lot of nothing specifically for a player who was making as many of the other good plays as there were. And it kind of turned out, I think, like, yeah, he actually he was making a number of good plays that were unsustainable. And, like, the dead spaces in between were this regression creeping up on him, and it finally swallowed him up last year. Uh, but he can, of course, do some stuff. He's definitely really toolsy and... Maybe Frank Reich can bring out some good version of him uh, again, but I, I don't want to take him in the 14th round, so I, I just don't really care about the Carson Wentz part. Maybe that's wrong, but I don't want to pick him because I'm concerned that he's not really worth his expense for his own part. And part of the theory of his upside for the people who are believing in a bounce back for Wentz it's, it has to do with, well, he can give you 300 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. It's like, okay, well, then that makes him even less of a stacking interest to me because that's might be... 400 300 yards and five touchdowns that my receivers could be getting instead but they can't now um so i want the, the actual stacking logic to exist if i'm going to pursue a stack and i don't really see it as much with wentz especially i mean you could pick naheem hines as, as thinking like oh this is part of the stack and, and indeed it would be but if i'm taking naheem hines then i'm less interested in the receivers than i am in comparable stacking scenarios so it, it all kind of keeps coming at the expense of where there should be this instead theory of multiplying returns and so the categorically the logic just doesn't work for me but i do think there are some parts of the colts passing game worth targeting because these are good players here uh that in some ways leads into the next problem though which is michael Pittman is like i don't think he's a bad player far from it the problem is his current price supposes that he's not just better than all the other colts receivers but much better and going into this year, he's much worse than them. And I, granted, there's there's maybe reasons for that, you know, just general wide receiver development, you know, Rookie, year one, yeah. year two, jump, stuff like that. But those are the kinds of excuses that, to me, more so just been on the same level as Hilton and even Zach Pascal, certainly not ahead of them, certainly not to the tune of, you know, or whatever it is from Pittman to Hilton and, and Paris Campbell. So for me, the problem is more the price. If Michael, if Michael Pittman was going for the same price as Hilton and Paris Campbell, then I'd have to totally, you know, reboot my whole thinking on the thing. But when I have to, 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 to indulge that risk, I have to pick so much earlier than the other ones. When it, the, these, these, these generous assumptions that people are making about his growth would only put him on the same level as Pascal and Hilton. So I could just be wrong, uh, of course, but I just don't really see 
at the very least, while I might be able to see the, the logic of the leaps of faith that people make for Pittman, I don't think they're prepared to give that same generosity to pretty much any other player. If they did, they'd be making all kinds of wacky rankings based on like, oh, but if, if everything did go this one way for this guy, he could be worth, you know, taking four rounds earlier than he is. Uh, and, and obviously we don't make that, we don't make those kinds of exceptions very often. So I think Pittman is just the kind of arbitrary heir to this arbitrary thinking. And it could be right, but I, I don't see the, the, you know, statistical basis for, for yeah, making not, it this Yeah, not point. good process. Um, we got a couple uh, viewer questions, Mario, if you're ready for a couple more. Oh, sure. Uh, so our buddy C, do you give Tannehill and A.J. Dillon to get Aaron Rodgers? Um, if it's Dynasty, definitely, I think, because I actually I like A.J. Dillon quite a bit in the long term. Like Aaron Jones is a beast, and he's not going to knock him aside, but Aaron Jones has missed time pretty much every year, I think. And at UTEP, he got knocked, nicked up quite a bit, too. So I love A.J. Dillon in Dynasty, and in Redraft, too, I think I'd do it. I don't have Aaron Rodgers reliably ahead of Tannehill, so... If I can get a running back four with running back two upside and, and make a lateral move at quarterback, I'd probably do it. Oh, so that so uh, in in this so in this case he would be giving away oh, Tannehill no, and Dylan. So oh so my bad, no. Put. Sorry, I would rather have Tannehill and Dylan. My bad. Interesting. Okay. All right. We'll we'll roll with that. Appreciate the question there, bud. And then uh, we got a question from Julia J. Again, a, a loyal listener of ours. Uh, rank these three guys in best ball. Zeke, Mixon, and Aaron Jones. How are you leaning? I definitely have Zeke first. I just think he is in an offense that will run more, not more plays than the Bengals, but higher quality plays than the Bengals, uh, I hope, anyway. And Mixon and Jones, I basically have ranked in the same tier, but if if I had to rank them, I would go with Jones just because uh, I don't think he's going to get necessarily all that close to as much volume as Joe Mixon in terms of catches and targets, but... He'll do more with those targets, and I think the touchdown volume, it's like the over-under for Aaron Jones' touchdown volume is probably twice whatever it is for Mixon. So uh, on that basis, I lean for Jones, especially in best ball, where you you know more than most running backs in any particular part of the ADP, Aaron Jones is capable of that kind of like 40-point game. Yeah, no, absolutely. We've seen that before uh, time and again. So, yeah, I think Zeke, Jones, and Mixon would, would be my three um, as well, in order. Um, before we, we move on to the Ravens, any any uh, parting shots as far as the, this Indianapolis stack and what is the, the verdict from Mario Puig? Right, so since I'm concerned about the overall volume and I don't like Pittman's price, to the extent that I approach the Colts passing game, it's just to pretty much take the cheapest guys. And that includes Mo Alley-Cox, who I think is worth taking a cu- every now and then in the 18th round, but there's a ton of risk there, so you can't really make him a staple purchase. Paris Campbell is very much a staple purchase. He's like probably my most staple purchase this year. And uh, T.Y. Hilton is a guy who, in the process of writing this, I got more sold on than I thought I'd be. So I haven't targeted Hilton. I'm going to be more open-minded to it going forward. But if the prices on these guys change, then everything's up to renegotiation. And like if, if, if Pittman gets cheaper, even I might get interested, but I'm pretty sure that, that won't. I feel like that that's just not going to happen. Like Pittman's no, going to be won't. the guy that, that, that has his hypers and uh, that they are only going to dig in further. So there's always going to be someone in your draft that, that's willing to reach uh, maybe a round or two and, and certainly a few rounds ahead of those other Indianapolis receivers. All right, let's round things out, and let's go ahead and talk about the Baltimore uh, offense from a passing stack perspective. Obviously, I think that the narrative and, well, the the stats show that they are the least 
pass volume team in football, and that's just kind of the way it is. You, you got Lamar Jackson's rushing threat. You have a system from Greg Roman that, that definitely skews towards the run. Obviously, and understandably, the last couple of seasons since Lamar took over as a full-time starter, not a ton of firepower at, out wide other than, you know, you, you get Mark Andrews running up the seam and, and you get, you know, Marquise Brown on, on occasion making some plays. Uh, I do expect him to, to do a little bit better this season than he did a year ago, but you know that you could understand why they were so run heavy a year ago, but they they really hammered the pass catchers in the off season. Of course, you know you add Sammy Watkins, uh, you grab Rashad Bateman in the first round, you double back and you get Tylen Wallace in the fourth round. You have Devin Duvernay investment from a year ago, James Prochet as well, even though he's he's probably more in the special team spectrum for for this team, not really on the best ball radar so much, but. If you are going after the, this passing stack, like is it something that, that you can pull off? And if so, um, how are you going about it? Yeah, normally you would worry about a quarterback running as much as Lamar Jackson and what it would mean for the passing game stack. Because if you run the ball, you know, the clock runs out faster. That is in itself a play where you weren't throwing the ball, where, you know, in an all, another offense with a less mobile quarterback, maybe they were throwing the ball and maybe the corresponding receiver investments profit that much more for you because of this increased opportunity that's, uh, you know, paying out twice over because you have the stack in place. But I think that in the case of Lamar Jackson, his insanely high touchdown frequency offsets this concern a lot more than it would in other similar quarterbacks cases. Not that there's ever been a runner like him, but uh, he, he, he runs outrageously effectively and at high volumes, but in ways that, uh, suddenly turns into another form of opportunity for his receiver. Certainly not in the form of target volume. Uh, he definitely hurts them there. But there has to be a point where we are willing to exchange target volume for touchdown opportunity. And at these prices, I think the Ravens are clearly one case. Because Lamar, if he plays 17 games, is a really good bet to throw for 35 to 38, maybe even 40 touchdowns. So... It is true that him running so much and the Ravens running so much in general does take away opportunities for targets from Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins. And it's true that they're all threats to each other's target volumes because they're all qualified in their own ways. But particularly at half-point PPR, it seems like that touchdown detail could be really significant. And especially since, in my opinion, the prices on all those guys already factors in the risk detail. And I, I don't know if it's gives as much thought to like well what happens if mark andrews catches 14 touchdowns this year what happens if marquise brown catches 10 like then we don't care that he only got six targets a game so right. i think that's a scenario that's totally plausible and we'll see what happens with marquise brown and his injury today i don't know what to make of that but before his injury he was one of my favorite values at receiver especially in best ball like granted i don't I don't want to suppose there's going to be anything like consistency with him, but he's still good. People seem to think he's bad after last year, and that's definitely not the case. And if you want to see Marquise Brown look a little better, uh, adding Rashad Bateman, adding Sammy Watkins, maybe getting Duvernay on the field instead of Willie Sneed, that's exactly how you would do it. You're giving him more space. Marquise Brown struggled because he was going into the teeth of the defense and there wasn't room for him to exploit his quickness and speed. But if you make the defense space itself out more, it's, it's back to chasing a rabbit in a big field. See, exactly. So, yeah, I think it, there, there's a year three bounce back coming. And then I'll, I'll end with, with this for you. 
who do you think does win that that you know proverbial nominal uh, number three role in the, in this passing attack, uh, specifically at, at receiver? We know that Mark Andrews will, will rank among them, but you know it's going to be Sammy Watkins and Marquise Brown. Who gets the most targets outside of those two? And, and do you think that with the kind of somewhat of a complication on Nick Boyle's uh, return from injury, that Baltimore is a little bit more three wide as a base? So I think most people, certainly the ADP says that Rashad Bateman will be the second receiver and Sammy Watkins might be the third. So uh, we can expect those shake out the two and three detail on some basis. I don't know what. To me, it sounds like Marquise Brown could be getting a lot more slot snaps than he used to. And I, I guess you would put Watkins at the second favorite for that if, if Marquise Brown is outside. Bateman doesn't really seem like much of a slot guy. So... Uh, I guess that's how you would put it. And maybe Devin DuVernay will be like the swing backup between slot and outside. So maybe he would step in if Watkins got hurt or if Bateman or Brown got hurt. I I guess I would expect it to shake out like that. But I think Rashad Bateman is viable at his current price. Like I I definitely like him as a prospect. I'm sold on that part. And I would be sold on him if I were sold on a snap and volume, a target volume count of a certain kind. But I more so disagree with uh, the market on Brown, who I think is too low, and Watkins, who I think is too low. So the market being lower on them than me necessarily means they're higher on Bateman than me. But I I want some Bateman exposure. I, I I think, like, especially if Watkins gets hurt, then Bateman is pretty much a lock to produce. Right, and, and obviously with Watkins... Or Brown, they, I guess. Yeah. True, true. So, you know, if, it, if there's one thing that, you know, has kind of held Sammy Watkins back in his career, it's, you know, not being able to play the full 16 games. I think he's done that just once since entering the league. Um, so, yeah, there, there could be some injury opportunity there for some of those more depth guys. Um, that's going to round things out for our episode great stuff mario as always so again thank you for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast brought to you by our friends over at winbet and check out friday's episode with andrew laird and scott jenstad again thanks for listening everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.